That's Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. I'm Meg Rowley. And on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, I welcome Fangraphs senior writer Jay Jaffe to the program. Jay and I discuss the current potential for ties and less chaos in the postseason field, Jay's preference that the playoffs feature matchups of the game's best rosters, and his predictions for which teams make it to October and the World Series. We also discuss his impressions of the Major League home run leaderboards and Mookie Betts' future in Boston. All of that is coming up, but first it is my obligation to tell you that Fangraphs memberships are now available at Fangraphs.com. For the monthly cost of one bag of Halloween candy, you can support all the great work at Fangraphs, including Jay's analysis of the latest baseball news, Eric Longenagin and Kylie McDaniel's prospect coverage, Dan Zimborski's Elegy for the Season Series, and Sung Min Kim's prospect dispatches from South Korea. You may also, for a slightly greater sum, purchase an ad-free membership and enjoy Fangraphs without banner ads, facilitating faster loading times. That bit of business being complete, I take you to my conversation with Jay Jaffe, senior Fangraphs writer, which begins right now. started recording. Jay, I have been remiss in having you on. So welcome back to Fangraphs Audio. I'm sorry it's been such a long time. Hey, well, it's good to be back. (laughs) I've been saving my voice for this. (laughs) Well, I'm so honored. You have had a a busy little bit here tracking the potential for chaos and hysteria, uh, (laughs) riding in the streets, as it were, with some MLB uh, playoff races. So I want to talk about that. You wrote today, as we're recording this, uh, it is Tuesday. Uh, You wrote today about Mookie Betts and his potential future with the Red Sox. We'll we'll do a little on that. And then, uh, you know, it's the time of year where we start to get, um, you know, we start to reflect on the character of the season, which is soon to be over. So I think we'll talk about um, whether you still think there are too many damn home runs. We'll talk about (laughs) that too. So we'll have that as a little agenda here. Uh, but but first, I was saying before we started recording that last week you reintroduced our readership to the potential chaos of the postseason with a bunch of ties and other bits of nonsense. And I was bemoaning that we hadn't we hadn't recorded this sooner. But you you've come to inform me that actually things are not all that different than they were last week. Yeah, I don't think it's changed all that much. I mean, uh, other than the Red Sox plummeting, they were they were. Uh... You know they were they were fading fast as of as of last week when I wrote this. Um, I think their odds were six point seven percent. Well, they're now like zero point two percent. So, you know they're they're basically roadkill here. You know I, we've still got a, a, a uh, uh, I think a very fun three to make two situation in in the in the wild card race between the Rays, the A's, and the uh, Indians. And the NL, you know, remains chaotic, both in the Central Division, although, you know, it's not uh, quite as exciting as last year, and the uh, uh, the NL wildcard race. Right. So so as it stands today on uh, September 10th, wow, September is wild. Let's see. The, the Rays currently sit in the first wildcard spot. The A's are a game and a half back of them. And then uh, the Indians are a half game back of the A's in the AL. And then in the National League, we have the Nationals seemingly pretty firmly entrenched in that first wildcard spot. They're up two and a half games on the Cubs. And then we have the Brewers, two back of the Cubs, the D-backs, two and a half back 
That Diamondbacks team, what a thing! Yeah, they've they've interjected themselves in, in, into this at uh, you know at a good time when these other teams are fading, kind of picking up the baton for the Mets maybe, and and it's it's good to have them at the party. Yeah, and then and then we do have uh, I guess the Phillies are technically closer, although we have their uh, playoff odds lower. So when I look at this table, it looks like it's out of order, but it's not. Uh, so the Phillies are three back, and then the Mets are four, and then uh, and then we're done after that because the Reds are ten and a half games back. I guess the Giants are eight and a half technically, but we still have their playoff odds at zero. <sighs> Yeah, well, they're not. You know, if if if, if you're if you're six games below five hundred, yeah, I think we're not, we're I, not talking. We're yeah, not talking think, about your playoff odds. I think we can be pretty comfortable that that zero is going to stand. So, and then and then, of course, as you mentioned, we have some um, division races that are still pretty pretty tight here. The Twins have regained their lock seemingly on uh, the AL Central, but that that NL Central is still kind of shifty. I wish that some of those teams were better. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not quite the it's not quite the exciting race as it was last year. And and you know, I think last year when we had, you know, we ended up with two tiebreaker games, we had the the excitement of uh two races that were, you know, the difference between uh division and wild card winner was what was what it came down to on the last mm-hmm. day. So you didn't have quite the do or die, but you had a uh, you know, one step away from the from from the ledge situation and that that yeah. was exciting and just these teams uh, in the central, particularly, are, are are just not as strong. This Cubs team isn't as good. This Brewers team certainly isn't as good. A lot of injuries all over the place. I'm actually writing about uh, uh, the Javi Baez situation for tomorrow. Um, yeah. You know, but uh, you know, you could you could uh, I, I could do a whole piece on the Brewers injuries if I had time. I you know, there's uh, there's a lot to be said there too. And uh, you want to see these teams playing at full strength and battling at full strength. And that's just not anywhere close to the case for, for, for either of these teams right now. No, it does not appear to, to be the case. So, so, uh, so how do you think this is going to shake out, Jay? I wouldn't be surprised if we get uh, uh, one, you know, one play in game out of this. I think it's probably asking a lot for two, you know, I'm, I think I have more, more hopes pinned to the American league, just because we've got a better quality of team sure. going there. And, you know, all th- I think all three of those teams, the Rays, the Indians, and the A's are are, uh, are superior to these NL teams that are battling and uh, maybe a little bit less banged up, although they've had to weather some storms. I mean, the Indians are without Jose Ramirez and Corey Kluber. You know, the Rays uh, have not been at full strength for a while due to, due to various losses, although they just got Tyler Glasnow back. The A's... Who's hurt on the A's? I can't even remember. Well, they're getting a bunch of <laughs> they're getting a bunch of guys back. So yeah, they're getting they they are they are getting guys back, and I hope uh, Jesus Lazardo uh, uh, gets to play a part in this, uh, uh, if only because of uh, uh, I love his name relative to that of uh, one of my favorite bands of all time, the Jesus Lizard. So uh, every t- every every time I see him in a prospect report, I'm like, yeah, all right, rock on, buddy. <laughs> Yes, I guess they still have, they've had some injuries, but they're mostly in the process of getting guys back. And they have this sort of funky situation with with Frankie Montas where he's healthy but will not be postseason eligible, right? Wasn't he the, he had the oh, yeah, suspension? He, yeah, he was a suspension. Uh, uh, I had still... him in mind very briefly uh, yesterday when I was writing about the Michael Pineda situation. And, sure. And, uh, uh, which stands, I think, as one of the most impactful PED suspensions of recent vintage because it's rare 
that we've seen a playoff team lose somebody so central to their to their hopes. And you'd have to go back to I think 2012 when the A's lost Bartolo Colon, and and also uh, as I was reminded, the the uh, Giants lost Melky Cabrera. Oh, that's um, right. Although although that was a slightly different situation sure. because the Giants could have brought him back. Right. And and chose not to. Right. And they they ended up winning it all. But, you know, the A's will never know whether they could have moved on past the Tigers in that series uh, if they'd had uh, uh, Big Bartolo back. Well, and just as you noted in that piece, such an unusual situation because you often, in addition to the, the impact, you know, I think we tend to think of PED suspensions as cut and dry. You can't play in the postseason. It doesn't matter what, but it's the fact that he will still be suspended and not that he's technically postseason ineligible that is keeping him out this right. time, which is odd. Right, right. It was, and it was a fairly unique suspension because it uh, involved uh, uh, the rarely used mitigation powers of the independent arbitrator right? Um, because of the uh, the substances. And, uh, you know, I, I've, it's tough to imagine, you know, winning even a point against oh, yeah. these arbitrators under under these circumstances and and you know when you're trying to prove intent when it comes to uh tainted supplement or 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 medication you know what, what that has potential for abuse uh, as Pineda did but yeah, I guess he must have presented one hell of a case or he and his uh, agent or or yeah. however it works there you know we're not privy to that stuff because it's all supposed to be confidential but uh you know uh, it, it's pretty interesting that he was even able to get that uh, uh that concession yeah, it's uh it, it's an unusual one. He he's one of those guys where the fact that Michael Pineda is 30 makes me feel older than the fact that my younger brother just turned 21. Like that fact actually <laughs> has a, a greater uh carries with it greater psychological harm than my younger brother turning 21. Maybe because <laughs> I can't I I'm not friends with Michael Pineda, so him being able to to drink is um isn't so great whereas I can just go have a beer with my brother now so that part's nice but the other thing that is odd to think about was that 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 trade was almost 10 years ago at Mariners Yankees trade yeah was and it's ago. it's it's amazing I, I, you know I was I, I think just yeah it's yeah it is remarkable time flies and we've seen so little of Michael Pineda right uh, you know since that rookie season uh uh lost for all of what 212 and 213 and mm-hmm. uh, you know in part of 2014 and and then again lost for for all of last year and, yeah. and uh, it's just been a, a a very stop and start major league career yeah it just makes the it just makes the suspension that much more of a disappointment because i was i was very much looking forward to getting to see a big mike pitch in the postseason so hopefully he'll uh Manage to latch on somewhere next year, even though that suspension will carry into the early part of 2020. So we we think a potential bit of chaos in the AL, but you think that the National League will have sorted itself out by the time the, the postseason I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Wrong. I wouldn't be surprised uh, if, if, if there is something. It's just, you know, I think the odds of us getting that, that much hope for, you know, four and five way tie uh, are 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 slim because of the the separation that we're seeing now but yeah. you know it's that those are always pipe dreams and it's fun to it's you know it's fun to chase those pipe dreams but uh uh you know even while acknowledging that uh like most pipe dreams they won't come true yeah um, and accepting that reality yeah, it was funny over the I, – I mentioned this to Ben Lindbergh when I came back from um, a very brief vacation in the mountains. You know, you go away from baseball for a couple of days, and even though not a lot 
tends to change. There are always a couple of things that have shifted in a way that kind of surprise you just by virtue of actually unplugging for a little bit. And, you know, I know that the movement on this started before I went away, but it felt like, oh, the, the AL Central is neck and neck. And then I came back and I was like, oh, no, it's just going to be the twins. This is fine. <laughs> yeah. Jay, what is your preferred post I did not prepare you for this question, so if you need to take a beat, uh, <laughs> it'll be fine. Dylan will just edit it out because he's good at that. But I am curious because I think about – I noodle on this this time of year, seemingly every season, on what your preferred postseason – uh, aesthetic might be. And by that, I mean, do you prefer to see sort of best versus best, or do you like to see a couple of underdogs sneak through? What are you, not not from a, that you necessarily prefer any given team. Uh, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't mean that. People don't have to get angry about it. But in terms of um, sort of archetypes, you know, are you wanting to see an Astros uh, Dodgers World Series, or are you are you rooting for something perhaps a little funkier? You know, I I think I generally prefer strength against strength. I'd rather mm -hmm. see the two the two number one teams go at it, or or you know at the very least, uh, uh, you know, two from the top four uh, sure. after after some after some some grueling uh, uh, league championship series. I don't I don't mind the upsets. I like you know an upset here and there is is certainly fun. You know, I guess it. I guess it depends on whose whose ox is being gored, though. <laughs> as to, as sure. to which, which, some upsets are some upsets are better than others. I mean, I think you know. Uh, while I enjoy the potential for chaos, and while I, I like the uh, harsh reality of the wild card play in game and the way that it puts uh, even the winner at a, at a significant disadvantage relative to the division winning teams, uh, the reality is that. You know we're you know, we're kind of in this this state of rewarding teams that are you know closer to mediocre, and shifting the focus away from you know the top four teams or so to the battles for to be the fifth best team in each league, mm -hmm. and you know that I think that carries with it some ramifications that are you know not great for the sport. And so, you know, while I don't mind an, an an upset here and there, I would think, you know, it 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 annoys me when, you know, people talk about, you know, the regular season being meaningless or something like sure. that, you know, or discounting, uh, you know, a hundred win team that just, you know, had had a bad weekend or whatever, and and, and was and was swept out as if you know the previous six months meant absolutely nothing. And I'm, you know, still, I will never accept the 2006 Cardinals and their 83 and 78 record as, <laughs> as, as official world champions. I think that is one of the biggest con jobs in the history of Major League Baseball. <laughs> um, Emma and I were talking about, my wife, Emma Spann, managing editor of the Athletics National site, we're talking about uh, this that very uh, team last night. And I think we've both voted that uh, we are not going to recognize uh, them as champions. We're, we're stripping them. Uh, of, of that designation in the Jaffe Span household. I think that's fair. I, I I think I tend to agree with you. I mean, I am I'm not opposed to championship series ending up feeling more hotly contested than the World Series, for instance. Like that happens. Like I I imagine that the 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 Astros and the Yankees are gonna duke it out to represent the AL in the World Series. And I I'm looking forward to that series very much, perhaps a little bit more than 
Astros Dodgers which is what I imagine the World Series will end up being but I I think you're right it's nice when um it's nice when very good teams are rewarded for winning a lot because I think you're right that it incentivizes winning especially in a season like this right now I was just looking at this I didn't realize that it had gotten quite this dire we currently Jay Jaffe at Fangraphs.com we have we have four teams projected to win to lose excuse me more than 100 games and we have another team projected to lose 99. The Tigers are coming in at 112 losses. Oof. That feels light. That's a, that's terrible to say, but I, I, it feels true to me. That feels light. feels like they should lose more. Uh, and then the Orioles. <laughs> I don't, don't, they'll, they'll get on it. <laughs> yeah, they're like, fine. They, challenge they get, yeah. challenge oh. accepted, Meg. Uh, Orioles at 108. Marlins at 104. Oh. Royals at 101. And then the Blue Jays coming in at 99. And my Seattle Mariners at 96. Oh, dire. And, that, and that Mariners team is a bad team, and I think oh, in, yeah. a, in a worse, in a, in a in a more normally balanced league, they would be blowing past a hundred. Oh yeah, it, uh, like what, like like much more quickly. And it's 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 the fact that they're kind of you know in the same way we've got super teams like the Yankees and Astros, we've got super bad teams, right? Um, like like the Tigers and Orioles that are just you know utterly rock bottom terrible. The Tigers have a negative two hundred and eighty-three run differential. Oh, my stars. I hope. They, I, I really hope they get to that that minus three twenty-four mark. The oh two my run, gosh. The two run per game differential is uh, uh, rarely cited in the wild, but uh, uh, it is it, it is a thing to behold. <laughs> yeah, we have we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams with run differentials of negative a hundred or uh, lower. This is like you start to get into to figures where you're like, do I say that they're the the worst, the best at being bad? You start like language stops making sense when you're that bad at baseball. <laughs> it's really very upsetting. But then we do have a bunch of very good teams. I guess that's something. I guess it's something, but it's yeah, still it's, pretty bad. I mean, it, you know, we're just the game is in a weird spot right now. We've got this this bifurcation because of the you know the the disincentivization of winning, and it's it's producing all kinds of strange things. It's producing these super teams. It's producing a higher concentration of blowouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, weird stuff like the position players pitching, and and it's just. It's in a weird spot, and, and you know while we, the you know the, the home run stuff, you know while we can apply, we can we can try to appreciate the nuances of it and 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 put them in historical perspective because you know that's our jobs and because this certainly beats you know working as a telemarketer or 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 a grave digger or something. Uh, sure, uh, yeah. You know, much uh, much less happy. It's you know it'd be lying to, if I said that I thought the, the the game was in a particularly good place right now with the. Uh, you know these, this constellation of symptoms that we're witnessing, and and uh, uh, their relationship, I think, to you know to some you know structural problems and some unintended consequences. Well, I guess we can we can maybe use that as a jumping off point to talk about this this home run situation because earlier in the year you had written a piece about uh, there being too many home runs. You were of the opinion your aesthetic preference for baseball is that there be fewer home runs than there are let's see there have been i'm just doing a little bit of play indexing through games today 6027 home runs in 2019 that's a lot that's yeah. that's uh it's i i would submit too many too yeah, many home we're, runs we're something like 80 
78 home runs shy of the record, which was set two years ago. And, and, and uh, we've got 18 days to go in the season. So we're going to blow past that. The Astros might blow past it all on their own. Jesus. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, uh, I, I'm, I keep my eye on, on the, uh, uh, the per team per game rate, which is uh, at 1.40 uh, per team per game. When I wrote that article that we've reached the point of too many homers uh, on June 27th, it was only at 1.36. <laughs> oh, um, we've, we've seen it creep up 3% just, you know, in in two months. Right. And, you know, it's, uh, I think, something like 11% ahead of the previous record set in 2017. You know, with twenty percent ahead of last year, twenty two percent ahead of last year. I forget it. I forget the exact figure. But the fact that the um, that the Twins broke the team record, which was which had stood for twenty one years before being broken by the Yankees last year, basically broke it with a month of the season still left to play. Um, I think that tells you that you know that things are broken. It's not just the record that's broken. It's that things in general uh, with this are broken and and. You know, on the the flip side of it is the Orioles having, you know, long since uh, surpassed the previous record for home runs allowed this year and, and, you know, just laying waste to the record books. Now, we spent so much time, you know, towards the uh, midpoint and end of the so-called steroid era hearing about how, you know, the home run records are, 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 you know, are the jewels of the game, the continuity of the game. And if you're threatening that when you're letting... You know, these muscled sluggers run roughshod over the record books. And here we are. And it's, you know, you can't really point to individual actors as being at fault in the same way. But you still have, I think, what is what amounts to some kind of institutional failure here. Yeah. That, you know, and I th- I get that there's a that there's a difference between the way the casual fan who maybe goes to a couple games a year, maybe turns on a game, you know, once or twice a week experiences the home run onslaught versus the way that those of us who are you know are who are attuned to the game daily and who you know who are who are involved in the industry experience it but you know i likened it on twitter the other day to trying to subsist on a diet of cookies cookies Mm -hmm. are wonderful it's great to have a cookie now and then and you should enjoy the hell out of it trying to eat nothing but cookies is you're gonna you're, you sound like someone who has yeah. to negotiate with a toddler on a fair yeah you're not basis. gonna well there's 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 that too <laughs> there's that too and my my negotiation skills are are, are being tested uh like i'm scott freaking <laughs> boris these days because my now just turned three-year-old is as has gone militant uh when it comes to negotiation and uh, she's not um, taking you know, any prisoners we're still scrambling to uh, to counter that, and uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to try to raise Marvin Miller from the dead here. To- <laughs> <laughs> See, unions are very important for a lot of reasons. No, I think <sighs> you're right that the the casual fan. I think that whether or not the casual fan would identify home runs as the source of the the game experience being different, those home runs lead to things that I think casual fans quite rightly can point out with with much more limited exposure than you and I have like you pointed out that the the number of blowouts we're having is it's not quite historic but it's approaching that I mean depending on how you define a blowout right so uh, that's a thing that a casual fan can probably discern without needing to watch as many baseball games as as you and I watch you know I don't know how many casual baseball fans peruse uh, home run leaderboards but some of these names are like what is that guy doing up there you know you look at Eugenio Suarez as 
has 44 home runs. Jorge Soler has 41 home runs. That seems wrong. That doesn't yeah. seem right. Well, and yeah, and it's not just the it's not just the you know the individuals who are getting to 40 home runs or whatever. It's it's the preponderance of of guys getting to 20 home runs and 25 yeah. home runs, and and it's like. You know, look, I, I think there there are a lot of wonderful feel good stories that have come out of sure. the last few years. The whether it's you know you're talking Max Muncie or Chris Taylor, or Justin Turner, JD Martinez, Tommy La Stella earlier this year. Uh, you know these guys who've career long journeymen who've who've tweaked their swings or whatever and are suddenly stars or at least uh, uh, above average major leaguers, but. Uh, everybody's hitting 20 home runs. I mean, even guys that, that, you know, we were like, this guy's never going to hit for power in the major leagues. I like, I think Mitch I just Mitch Garver has Mitch Garver 29 has, yeah. home runs in like what? 300 plate appearances, 317 plate appearances. <sighs> yeah. And I mean, you know, uh, Jeff McNeil has 18 home runs, right? You know, and then we, we kept hearing about how Jeff McNeil doesn't have enough major, you know, power for the major leagues, but he's going to hit for average. Well, he's hitting 325 batting average, you know, with a 143 WRC plus, and that includes 18 home runs. And yeah, nobody expected that out of him. And, uh, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's silly ball. <laughs> M- Mitch Garver is slugging 639. Mitch Garver Jeez. has a 365 ISO. Get out of here. Oh my Get God. out of here, Mitch Garver. I mean, I'm I'm excited for Mitch Garver. Mitch Garver's It's it's great news for the going, Garver household. It yeah, is great. He's like, hey, is, I don't I don't wish Mitch I don't wish Mitch Garver any any ill at all. <laughs> right. Um especially because he's also good at pitch framing and yes. and, and you know, we respect those uh We do. We respect that side of things. Uh, uh but uh uh yeah, there's just there's a lot of these guys and it, it's like at some point it's it's just they're like ants. It's like, you know, each each of them is fascinating in their own way. But man, at the end of the day, it's a lot of ants. <laughs> that is a delightful way of putting that. Yeah, I, I think that, I don't know. I, I am a person, I think people's individual mileage varies in terms of how compelling they find home runs as a, as a highlight. Uh, Sam Miller wrote a really good thing last year about how, he, or maybe the year before, about how, you know, just as like a, a baseball highlight, it isn't actually one that he finds especially compelling. And I thought that that argument was kind of personal persuasive at times and there are guys where you get that that like uh in your chest feeling when they hit mm-hmm. a home run we're like dylan i'm gonna do a swear we're like holy shit like yeah. i oh, yeah. felt that yeah in no, my the, body the, yeah the um the, the the ones i you know i think i realized this when we start when, when we finally had uh, uh the vocabulary for it at the dawn of the Statcast era launch angle launch right. angle porn you know right. when a guy hits a 30 degree you know or 35 degree shot that you're like that's the upper yeah. deck, yeah. you know, and I, I keep coming back to, and I, I, I described this on Twitter. It was uh, uh, Jim Tomey's grand slam off of David Cohn in the 1998 ALCS. And like, I'm watching that at home. I felt it viscerally and David right. Cohn responded, how do you think I felt? <laughs> Terrific. Right. So it's like, oh, I, that's a, you know, this was part of. This was part of the feeling that people had about uh, Vlad Jr. when he was coming up, right? It was just like part of what was so impressive about the bat is that feeling. It was that in your chest, like this, right. is, this could resuscitate someone. And, you know, sometimes when uh, you get you get little uh, skinny guys who hit a, hit a home run, that's really fun too in isolation. But you're right, the ants thing. I like the ants thing. I think that's a good way of describing this. It's like, where, where do they all come from? And I'll never get rid of them. Once you have them, they're there forever. You'll always have ants. Right. Yeah. Right. 
Well, I will be curious to see. I <laughs> always feel like we dance around the uh, who is doing the verb in these sentences. Um, I will be curious to see what the ball looks like next year. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's obviously it's it's a um, uh, that is a, a of paramount importance where you know where Major League Baseball goes with this, and and I think you know we're not likely to get much clarity about it although i am op- vaguely optimistic that you know when the when the owners meetings come around and or the general managers meetings come around in in uh, uh usually november you know in advance of the winter meetings you start to hear about you know the rules that are that are that are going to be pushed for next year that we'll get some uh you know some kind of uh uh indication as to you know hey mlb does take this seriously and is looking at this um, the problem is, is you figure there's got to be some amount of testing uh, involved. You know, the, we've been led to this point because there hasn't been testing. And, and you know, there's been, I think, a, largely a series of uh, unintended consequences that have resulted from, you know, what are actually attempts to improve the process of manufacturing the baseball, but that have, you know, kind of come about with some amount of trial and error and originally weren't taken seriously as, oh, this is a problem, but now have, again, you know, just uh, compounded on top of each other and have, you know, again, laid w- laid waste to the record books in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's going it's, uh, gonna to be curious to see because I do worry about us uh, seeing offense just collapse if we do not have the same a similarly aerodynamic ball let's put it that way to yeah. be a little it, more it, precise i know that juiced. you know and I, I know that there's you know there's talk about the you know, the atlantic league and all the experimentation going and i saw it today and i didn't get to fully uh, absorb the article but that they gave up on the uh, idea of moving the mound back this year which to me seemed like one of the worst ideas of of, of those that they came up with just because how how ingrained it is you know for a pitcher who's been throwing for you know, a decade maybe since, you know, since at the, at the, at a minimum, you know, to, to get to the major leagues is, you know, has, has built up to that distance and suddenly you're changing things on them like that and, and all the nightmares there that could ensue. Well, am I, am I wrong to, am I misremembering that it was not just that they were moving it back, but that the, the distance was quite significant? Well, right. I think it was yeah, I think it was like two feet. Right. So and, the and, uh, the impact on perceived velocity would have been pretty profound. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, per- perceived velocity, and to say nothing of movement and the, and right. the amount of exertion, and pitching yep. is hard enough. Yep. You know, pitching is hard. Enough. You know, it's like I, I I get that I get that we're concerned about you know the the uh, preponderance of high velocity and and this pressure to throw harder and go all out, but you know the way that the game is the 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 push and pull between pitching and hitting right now greatly favoring hitters you know if you're if you're if you're making making it harder for pitchers you know for the for just just because you don't like the velocity which is kind of you know part of the part of the countering you're you're liable to end up in even a worse place yeah what a what a funny bit of business i don't have a graceful transition to talking about the red sox Maybe but, uh, maybe let's do a are, screeching of Dylan can insert a screeching of tires and a well, sound of we broken might, glass. <laughs> we might we might also call the recent decisions of the Red Sox a funny bit of business. Mm. How about that? That's pretty pained. We don't need to to 
talk overly long about the Dombrowski decision because I think that that has been pretty well discussed elsewhere. But you wrote today about um, one of the more important decisions that is likely to impact the next uh, Red Sox administration, whoever may end up um, sitting in that role permanently, whether it's this group of four that they've assembled or uh, a new uh, GM sort. And that is the future of Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts. Yeah. I, I admire you for resisting any kind of bet-related uh, pun in your headline. I wonder. You know, I, I must be all dad joked out. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I seem I seemed to be uh, the maybe the cupboard was just bare at the moment. It didn't it didn't really occur to me, but uh, it is a gamble. It yeah. is it is a gamble. Um, you know, the fact that Betts is a uh, free agent after the 2020 season and that he has said that he doesn't expect to sign an extension because he wants to test free agency and the the Red Sox current payroll situation, which to be clear is to some extent uh, a set of artificial constraints, right. you know, and and you know, and rules that are put in place to penalize teams for actually uh spending money and you know, John Henry, the owner who's net worth is, has been reported as $2.7 billion, you know, could easily afford to sign Mookie Betts to a $400 million contract and, and you know, not suffer uh, at all with regards to the value of his uh, investment. But, uh, you know, the, re- the reality is that if the Red Sox are going to play by this set of constraints, they have relatively little room to maneuver because of all the other big contracts they've got, which is not unlike the situation they found themselves in just seven years ago under a previous regime. And so with bets a year away from free agency, they have to decide how they're going to play this. And when I looked, you know, the the recent history of uh, guys traded with one year before free agency, they're not really good parallels. I mean, you know, yeah. they're, they're, they're names we know and, and players we respect. Paul Goldschmidt, Jason Hayward, Andrew McCutcheon, Justin Upton. Yuanis uh, Cespedes and Rick Porcello, who were part of the same deal, Jeff Samarja. But, you know, in terms of age and recent production, uh, Hayward was younger, but none of them comes close to what Betts has done, uh, you know, in terms of wins of replacement. Uh, you have some past MVPs there, like, like you know, or, or uh, at least uh, McCutcheon, but, that you know, he was far removed from that when he was traded. Right. So you don't really have... Uh, a great gauge of, of of how this is going to turn out. And we know already it's tough to get value for, you know, uh, appropriate value for, for a deal like this. And, you know, I, I one thing that I forgot to note in this piece was that Betts fell completely off of our trade value series top 50 this year. He was number six last year. And by the time we published in June, you know, when, when he had basically a season and a half left and was in the dregs of, of, of what was, you know, a pretty long stretch of mediocrity, two months of basically league average production, he had fallen below the honorable mentions to mm-hmm. off the list. And, you know, I think that's kind of telling, uh, you know, even even if you were to drop the list today, you might include him among the honorable mentions, you know, to some extent, it, it, the uh, the Red Sox may have already missed the boat if they were, you know, if, if they were thinking that a trade would be the best way out of the situation. Yeah, it's a it's a challenging I, I think that it is important and you were right to point out that this is to some extent an artificial constraint that the the Red Sox are dealing with in terms of their ability. Ability is such an odd word to to use when you're talking about a billionaire like giving out money because it's like, hey, that's your one of your best abilities is right. that you're a billionaire <laughs> who can give out money. It's one of your best tools. But understanding the way that these things seem to be working today, I think that it's right to note that there's this conflict here with especially with Martinez. But um I <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that Mookie Betts should test free agency because especially with the sort of rash of extensions we saw last year, he's going to be, I imagine his dance card would be quite full. But it is kind of an odd spot for the team to find itself in because while they went from winning the World Series to missing the playoffs altogether, I mean, not officially, but like for all intents and purposes, this is not a bad baseball team. It's not as good a baseball team as it was, but it's not a it's not a bad baseball team. Yeah, over it's, it's it's yeah, it's it's a it's a team that that I think has has failed to meet expectations in right. part because of you know of glaring problems that were not fixed, notably the bullpen, which I guess has recovered some in the last few weeks, but kind of uh, too little, too late. Dombrowski did not do a, a good job of uh, replacing Craig Kimbrell and Joe Kelly and. Uh, uh, the the team spent uh, four months of the season messing around there and, and messing around with Nathan Yavaldi when he came back from from having surgery to remove bone chips. Oh, he's a closer. He's never done that before. Oh, we can't, he can't, he's not even good enough to pitch in a high leverage situation right now. Let's start him. I know that'll work. And uh, I mean, just uh, you know that uh, Fakakta plan there. Um, you know, and Dylan, gotten, we do not have to bleep out Fakakta. You can leave that in. It's Yiddish. Yeah, um, and, and and they've got, you know, uh, Betts has admittedly not been uh, the world beater he was last year, but that's been kind of offset by Xander Bogarts having a, an outstanding season and Rafael Devers really having a, a great breakout. Uh, J.D. Martinez has fallen off, but Christian Vasquez is no longer an automatic out. Jackie Bradley sometimes uh, doesn't hit, and Andrew Benintendi hasn't really completely developed and they've had some injuries there sure. uh, all over the place in the infield and uh, I think they were somewhat blindsided by again by the Dustin Pedroia situation at second base sure you know I think that that I think that's fair to fault them for for not having a better contingency plan in place uh, you know nobody's nobody's ever been that happy when, when settling for Eduardo Nunez and, and the 2019 Red Sox are, are no are no exceptions yeah well and it's but it is such a funny thing right because so if you look at the they're sort of a team where you can see you can see whatever version of them you want to right so on the one hand they are a team that has a lot of very expensive players as you've noted and it has a, a very bad farm system they are dead last in our farm system rankings they're also a team that appears to be underperforming both their pythagorean record and their base runs record they are going to return most of the players they had both this year and in their world championship year i just find them fascinating because i think they the the narrative that people tease out about the red sox says as much about how they view baseball more generally as it does the red sox themselves <laughs> yeah you can kind of find your way to a number of different reads if you're sort of in the mood yeah, I think you know one thing. One thing we kind of glossed over there in, in, in doing my inventory of, of of what's gone right and what's gone wrong is the pitch, the Chris Sale, the decline of Chris Sale, mm. and who's now out for the season, and the decline of Porcello, who yeah. is ERA approaching six. Yeah. Good luck with that free agency, buddy. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, it's... It's been, and then you know David Price's injuries and all that. You know, it's just I think it's yet another reminder of. You know, it's been 20 years since we've seen a team repeat as World Series champions. You got to yes. go back to the 99 2000 Yankees, 98 2000, really, uh, for that trifecta there. The toll that the extended postseason takes on pitching and, and, and the difficulty yeah. of, of, you know, these guys putting together, you know, back to back 200 plus inning seasons where they're essentially adding a month to their seasons to, to make those extra starts and, and, 
you know, you look at these Red Sox and you're like, man, that didn't work at all. I think, uh, you know, they're at, at most, they're going to have two guys that qualify for the, for the ERA title in terms of, you know, meeting the innings requirements. And one of them is Eduardo Rodriguez, who, right. you know, has worn the injury prone label for, uh, you know, for pretty much his, his entire major league career here. Uh, and is, uh, you know, into a career high at a time when everything else is falling apart. Yeah. Yeah. Man. It's just baseball so hard. <laughs> it, <laughs> it which is. feels, it feels like such a, I mean, like people are like, yeah, hey, thanks, Mike. That's, this is the analysis that we come to Fangraphs for. But the particular alchemy you need in any given season to, to win a World Series is, it's a slightly different and special brew each time. And the fact that anyone does it at all is amazing. I I remain amazed that uh, any hitters ever get hits and that any pitchers ever get outs. I remain <laughs> amazed at both things simultaneously because it's just very, very difficult. It's going to be hilarious when the Red Sox win the World Series next year. <laughs> I don't think that will happen, but wouldn't it be funny if it did? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, you know, we've, I mean, 2012, they were the laughing stocks and, and then. 2013, yeah. they won it all. So you know, this is and this is not nearly as dire a situation as as, no, as not that. Really. Although they don't have, I I, I would say that uh, Bobby Valentine makes a much more compelling uh, a villain than, than Dave Dombrowski, at least in terms of public facing uh, stuff and and, yeah. and, and and silliness and yeah. and whatever. But uh, you know, I I think that uh, like you said, they're getting back to, to this team sort of being a Rorschach blot. I think that the, you know as as people do the postmortems on on Dombrowski's run with the Red Sox, it's you know we're this, the predominant narrative is that when winning isn't enough, you know when when I think that there are you know probably some some other factors that that, that are that are going into this besides right. just you know they've gone from from winning it all to um, to you know likely missing the playoffs and painting themselves new another corner payroll wise and, yeah. and you know some signs that uh, uh, things were not all smooth behind the scenes to say the least. Yeah, I think that's always, you know, we we don't hear about that stuff when things are going well, because who wants to tell that story about a winning team? And when you have a losing team, and then especially when you have one that has significant departures, the seams come apart a little bit more. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Tolstoy line, you know, yeah. happy families are all like each unhappy family is, is unhappy in its own way. That's, yes. that's so tr- that's so true for baseball. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. So I'm going to do a kind of mean thing to close us out here, Jay, which I also didn't prep you for. And it's really mean to make people do predictions because there's no winning at predictions. I mean, you can <laughs> win, but like no one remembers those. And I am going to make our entire staff do this exercise collectively. So you will have done it twice, but you can <sighs> change your answer between now and then, which Sorry. is that... So, so you're just not you're not bound to anything at all. You can change your mind. You can uh, accept new information. You can totally forget what you said here and just come up with something brand new. Which is that I'm going to ask you to to pick division winners. I will not ask you to pick along each stage of the playoffs, but I would like to know your eventual World Series matchup and then Victor because it's mid September. So clearly, there's a lot of urgency right. to this question. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm gonna well, make you do it anyway. Okay. Well, I mean, I think division-wise, the only real race we've got is the NL Central and the yeah, Cardinals with, a, with Cardinals with a four-game lead. I mean, I think it's and the, and the Cubs with the Baez news that we discussed. I think it's uh, not hard to envision the Cardinals holding on the rest of the way. And likewise for the Twins, although I'm just seeing that uh, Byron Buxton is now out for the remainder of the year, which is oh no, uh, 
a huge bummer, you know, Dang from, it. from an aesthetic standpoint and from yeah. a, a rooting for Byron Buxton standpoint, because my God, that guy's had a lot of injuries. Yeah. And he can't and he seem is, to catch too many breaks. And he is so fun when he is healthy. Yeah. It's yeah, it a great, yeah. great combination of, of, of skills and, yeah. and such. So yeah, you know, Yankees and Braves, Twins and Cardinals, Astros and Dodgers. I don't think, uh, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm going to regret any of those picks right now. I think the, the, the wild cards. Yeah, we'll do those too. The wild cards. I, I think that uh, in the AL, I'm going to go with the Rays and the A's. I think the Indians, having suffered uh, maybe just one too many blows and, and having aired uh, this past winter with too little reinforcement, uh, uh, which they did a good job of correcting at the deadline. Don't get me they wrong. Did. But, you know, in the end, I think that they, they dug themselves a hole and, and they're going to kind of wish that they hadn't. National League, I, I think it's – I feel pretty safe with with the Nationals uh, in there. I think the uh, uh, the real interest is the second wild card. And, yeah. you know, just for fun, I'm going to pick against the Cubs. Let's, let's, let's go out on a limb here. And I'm going to say that the Diamondbacks managed to pull this off in some kind of miraculous desert – fiasco <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i'm not sure i i'm not sure i have the roadmap for how this is going to happen but uh yeah i'll i'll I'll, uh, I'll throw my dart there let's see we'll we'll take a brief pause to look so they have i'm gonna be able to see them uh when i go down for fall league so they, they have, have the easiest they have the easy or one of the easiest schedules remaining they do and they have games right because they have the remainder of this set against the Mets then they have then they host Cincy at home the Marlins at home they're at the Padres then they have the Cardinals and the Padres at home to close out the the remainder of the year man if Mike Leake ends up pitching in a postseason rotation I'm gonna that's funny um <laughs> that's great I like that Diamondbacks team I think they're doing cool stuff there and I have so many good or bad depending on your preferred uh, look for hats so many Diamondbacks hats it's really Oof. actually kind of a problem so I like that I support your I think ultimately unlikely pick but I I'm not mad about it yeah, I'm I'm going with Cattell uh, Marte I just want to see more of him oh my goodness I will say that is probably one of my Favorite stories of the year, and I do feel a little bit badly for Cattell, which seems like an odd thing to say given just the incredible season he's put together. But you just you look at his year, and you know that he wishes that you know Yelich, Bellinger, and Rendon had like each gone down for three weeks or something, yeah. <laughs> like not in a permanent way. I'm sure Cattell's a very nice sort, but you know that would be a would probably be an MVP season a lot of seasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and in here again we're talking about another guy who, you know, a few years ago was hitting, you know, one home run in 466 plate appearance and slugging a robust 323 and now he's almost yes. doubled that. It does help that Cattell does not have mono anymore and has not been his listed weight of 165 for at least uh 18 months. Yeah, so that good, probably good, helps a little bit. <laughs> good point. <laughs> who do you have Reaching the World Series, Jay. Oh, you know, I think it's got to be Houston because I, yeah. I just don't see the strength. I don't, I don't see the Yankees pitching staff being strong enough on at either end right now. I mean, yeah. I think if I was convinced that Luis Severino was was you know was was back and that Dellen Batonsis was back and that both were going to be huge assets here because they were they were you know up to full strength at a time when everybody else was kind of dealing with the uh, 
uh, six months of fatigue, I'd feel differently about this. And, and you know, to their credit, uh, James Paxton and, uh, you know, and, and Jay Happ have had some improved results lately, as has uh, Tanaka. But I don't see them getting past the Astros, given how good their pitching is. National League, you know, the Dodgers bullpen just is such an Achilles heel. I have a hard time imagining that they're going to do this for a third straight time. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, maybe Kenta Maeda is the solution, you know, him moving to the to the bullpen. But where are the innings going to come from? You know, where That's like, Ken, you know, Kenley Jansen is just such a mess right now. And that saddens me because he's one of my favorites to, to watch pitch. Yeah. Just because that cutter, you know, is is... Is, is such a thing of beauty when it works and you know he's 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 been so great but uh, i think the innings have caught up to him and the health stuff and and all that uh, i don't know who gets there if it's not them though i mean i'm uh, you know maybe it's the braves for giggles let's just say it's the braves right now cool i'm all for giggles and that would that would qualify they're a good team braves are a good team they're this good would, yeah that would not uh upset our previously stated preference for the postseason to mostly come down to teams that are legitimately good i think that that right. that falls very comfortably in that uh in that preference all right yeah well I would, you, I think you so. can change your mind like seven times before i ask first half <laughs> predictions in like a week and we'll half, see so. we'll see who's still standing in three in, in, yeah. in, in two and a half weeks here given uh given propensity for injuries i mean you know yes the Pinedas and Buxtons and Baez's of the year uh, uh, dropping like flies. Yeah, it's really too bad. Well, Jay, thanks for coming on. People should read your work at Fangraphs. That's obvious. Can you remind people what your Twitter handle is? Yes, it's J J A Y underscore Jaffe, J-A-F-F-E. I'm on Twitter. You can find me there. Uh, I will not necessarily be sticking to sports. I will not necessarily be keeping it clean enough for your preteen to read. So uh, be forewarned. <laughs> yes. This is not for every taste. Dylan is not there to clean up the swears. So Yes. Yes. And, and nobody at Fangraphs is responsible for the... <laughs> artisanal blend of sense and nonsense that comes out of my Twitter account. Oh, what a nice way of putting that. Well, Jay, thanks for uh, joining me and uh, good luck uh, corralling your preschooler. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) 